Welcome to Tech in the Right Direction, the podcast. Since its inception, Jennifer has interviewed many prominent women in the industry to help turn ideas to action and grow a network that can help build a better future for women. Women remain the driving force behind this growth, but male allies can play a critical role in helping to bring about these changes. That is why Jennifer has launched Mentors That Make a Difference, a spinoff series that allows men to speak on their experiences and share how they are helping drive social change to close the employment, pay, and culture gap for women in technology. We hope this new segment will continue to inspire change and encourage growth of women in the industry. Listen in as these collaborative stories start right now. Welcome to Tech in the Right Direction. This week, I'll be speaking with Michael Ashford. Michael is the Director of Marketing at The Receptionist, and he has transformed their business beyond 2020 expectations, accruing $6.1 million in revenue. Michael faced The Receptionist away from commercial spaces and towards logistics and supply chain. He believes good marketing is good storytelling. Michael, I'm so excited to have you on our Mentors That Make a Difference segment of the show. Thanks so much for being an ally for women in technology. And let's get started. So tell us a little bit more about you. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer, for having me. It is, it's an honor and a pleasure, absolutely. And this is definitely a topic that's important to my heart. So again, just thank you for having me. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I never know where to answer these questions or where to start. <laughs> I, I have a wife and two beautiful children. We live in the Denver, Colorado area where I'm the director of marketing at The Receptionist. You recently had our director of sales, Tom Foster, here on the show and yes. Tom's a great guy as well. I like to hike. I like, I'm a former journalist and sports writer. I love to read. I love to podcast. Um, yeah, I just, I, I really enjoy people. Uh, I enjoy people and stories. That's great. That's great. And that's so fitting for marketing, right? (laughs) I would hope so, right? Um, So as you know, this podcast is focused on bridging the employment, pay, and culture gap for women in technology. What are some of the things that you're seeing in the industry today? Uh, One of the things, Jennifer, that I'm starting to see a little bit more of is women shedding the notion of um the cutesy titles that that have been placed upon them mm-hmm. uh, like like CEO or mm-hmm. boss babe well no like i i can think of many women who are fantastic CEOs mm-hmm. they're fantastic leaders we don't have to give them some cutesy name to separate them from from my vantage point from the men it is simply they are great leaders they they got to their position because of the fantastic work that they do and the way that they are able to lead the way that they are able to perform in their jobs and what is asked of them and so we don't need the we don't need the ceos we don't need the boss Mm -hmm. babe idols Mm -hmm. um i I also kind of see a little bit of a trend towards um you know there are there are these broad stereotypes and generalizations of men and women in the workplace that men are more uh, analytical and uh, women are much more high, like rank highly on the EQ side of things, like the emotional intelligence. And I really am starting to see a little bit more of a shift towards 
hey, let's evaluate the person and not the stereotype. Mm-hmm. And that That's is great. incredibly important, right? So you're seeing that women are more taking ownership of the role and not trying to, you know, blend in, but really owning the role of CEO or director or, you know, whatever the the role is for the woman, they're owning it. And that is incredible because, you know, one of the areas that women lack is confidence. And so owning that title is really, really important and a very important first step. I love how you put that. Absolutely. They're owning it. They're saying, look, I earned this. I deserve Mm -hmm. to be here. I deserve a seat at the table, wherever that may be. And yeah, they're owning it. The fact that they have put in the hard work and effort every bit as much as anybody else who may go after or be in that role. There are so many amazing, smart, talented, capable women in Mm -hmm. all different roles. I'm really seeing, I don't want to call it pushback, but I'm just seeing this forceful exertion on the part of women that says, you're not going to give me the cutesy title. You're not going to label me into a, a stereotype. I am confident, not bossy. I am a good leader, not, um, you know, a, a good, I don't even know. I, I'm mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. from my head. But, no, oh, I get what you're yeah, saying. I love yeah. It. yeah. And that's, that's so important to see that shift. And I'm so happy to hear you say that because we've been working on that for a long time. Um, so, you know, thank you so much for being an ally and supporting us um, to get to this equality or equity status. Uh, what are some of the things that we should look for in an ally? I would say the ability to question yourself mm-hmm. and and your preconceived notions, your assumptions, your opinions and and biases of of how you came up in in business or or in the world yourself. We all have confirmation bias. We all have assumptions that we make about people, but those mm-hmm. things often lead us into some really dark, dark places in our decision making. Mm -hmm. And if a leader, if an ally doesn't have the ability to ask questions of themselves and, and I love Adam Grant's book, Think Again, to reconsider their positions, their statements, and in light of new, new or evolving evidence, change your mind, Mm -hmm. then are you really the type of leader that you could or potentially should be? Uh, that that would be the question. If you're if you're not willing to change your mind or challenge your assumptions, it's really hard to be an ally for someone when you don't necessarily you've never been in their shoes, right? You've yeah. never been in their position. You've never had to deal with the things that they have had to deal with and the the challenges that they have had to overcome. In addition to just the challenges of the job, right? See, you you hit the nail on the head. That we all have unconscious bias, right? And sometimes we don't even know that we have them and what they are. So that inner awareness to question yourself and really understand your thought process, because it comes from where you grew up, how you were raised, what school you went to, and there's nothing wrong with having biases, but knowing about them and if they are incorrect to put them back into check is really, really important. So I love that you said question yourself. That inner awareness is so important in order to understand where our biases are and how we can get rid of them if they don't support the um, women process to get Mm -hmm. to equity. 
And and I would say, you know, if you if you are afraid of asking questions of yourself, like why? What are you what are you afraid of? Are you are you afraid you might be wrong? Are you afraid that you might discover some uncomfortable truths about yourself? Mm-hmm. Well, the sign of a mature, emotionally healthy person is the ability to do exactly that. Right. So if you're afraid of asking questions of yourself, there are some other perhaps issues that you also have to work with, with yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, that's true. Um, so you have really strong passion for good marketing and good storytelling. Tell us more, because I think that is so powerful today. I would say it comes from my journalism background. I, I graduated from Kansas State University with a degree in journalism and mass communications. And after college, went to work at a, a small town newspaper in Kansas. And it, when it when it comes to sports, uh, and in particular, I was a sports writer. When it comes to sports, especially these days, anything that you write about a game that people have already watched or already followed on social media or already seen the score, nothing you say is really going to tell them anything different. So it's the stories that highlight the person behind the story, it, the, the, who they are to get to the point where they're at, where you're watching them on TV. How did they get there? What, what influenced them? Those stories are what people want to hear the most. We all want access to people, right? <laughs> the people mm-hmm. that we admire, we look up to, uh, that we, we cheer for. And I think I've brought that idea into marketing at first out of out of a fear for my own inability to be a marketer. You know, I, I came into marketing not with any formal marketing education or background. Mm-hmm. Um, I went from journalism to being a project manager and then kind of jumped over to the sales side of things and eventually was asked to take over the marketing department at, at a company that I worked for at the time. And mm-hmm. I, it was there was a little bit of um can I do this? Mm-hmm. Like, am, am I qualified? Am I the right person for this job? I was definitely questioning myself internally. And so the, I fell back on the thing I knew how to do best, which was ask questions and tell stories. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the, I think that any great marketer does those two things really, really well. They ask questions of their staff, of other people. They ask questions of their customers. They ask questions of the market that they're trying to serve. And then they, glean insight and information and narrative out of the answers. They listen and, and get that information out of out of the answers that they're hearing. And then they begin to tell a story about it. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's yeah, what, powerful. Um, yeah. So what do you think the future of marketing looks like to you? Um, storytelling is a big part of marketing today, and I think it's very powerful and very effective. Um, where do you see it going? Oh my gosh, I I wish I had a great answer to this, but I simply don't. I I don't like to spend a lot of time thinking about what the world is going to look like in uh-huh. in uh you know a year two years. I just simply don't know. I mean, this time two years ago, would any of us have predicted that we were in this situation? Right. Right. Um, it it you know I, I not that there's anything wrong with having goals or or setting out milestones that you want to hit in the future. But for me to sit here and say, like, this is where marketing's going um, would be a little foolhardy of an exercise for me, at least in mm-hmm. my mind. I, mm-hmm. I don't get enjoyment out of it. And I, I, I hope that's not a. No, that's fair. That's fair. 
<laughs> no, no, that's fair because, you know, it's like if you had a crystal ball, you could tell, but right. we don't, right? So we we kind of plug away. And I think, I really do think storytelling is part of the future as well because people love a good story. And if you can resonate with them and they can relate to you based on the story, it makes you authentic, it makes you real, and it really helps you know, them embrace the product or the service that you're selling. And and if I were to make a prediction, that would be it, right? I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think storytelling is going to go anywhere. It's going mm-hmm. to say that that's what good marketing is. Tactically, how that's carried out, I think, is wildly up to chance. Right. And, right. and you know, technology. <laughs> we're on podcasts right now where 10 years ago, people would be like, oh, a podcast, what the heck is that? Uh, there's there's only so many ways that you can market tactically, right? It's it's through the written word, it's through the spoken word, and it's through visuals. Mm-hmm. And all of those, at the end of the day, you're trying to tell a story through one of those mediums. Now, will it be a different social media platform that's more visually based or more text based? Or will it be books? Will they have a resurgence? I I love books, so I read all the time. So mm-hmm. I would be all for that that happening. Is it going to be blogs again? Or is somebody going to come up with another way to present blogs that are more digestible to the short human attention span? Mm-hmm. Right. No. So many things um, looking for our attention, right? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, the cliche is we have the attention of a goldfish, or a goldfish has a longer attention span than a human. <laughs> but I think if you're telling a great story, people will read and consume anything. I mean, why do you think, why do you think people binge watch Netflix show? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a great story there that they resonate and connect with. I'll read a 2000 page uh, blog or a 2000 word blog, excuse me, not mm-hmm. page. Uh, <laughs> if it's, if it's good I and mean, it's telling me a good story and it's giving me a level of access that I wouldn't previously have had, had I not read this story, it, we just, yeah, good content, good storytelling. It doesn't matter the the format or the medium. You know, it made me think about my grandchildren. Um, every time we see them, you know, many years ago, I started this where I would tell them stories about their mom, because I have two daughters, their mom when when they were little and they were their age. And now it's become a tradition. Like every time they see us, they say, can you please tell us a story when we were little or when you were little or when mommy was little and they love the stories. They are, you know, from an attention span perspective, kids have, you know, they're running from here to there all the time. And these are little kids and they sit and they listen with full attention. It's so amazing. Well, yeah, they, they care about the subject, right? Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. their, it's their mom (laughs) and they, they care about the, the access, the information Mm -hmm previously didn't have about something that they care about. I think that's yeah, where... so interesting. And I think storytelling is never going to go away because this is the future generation and they are so interested in it. Absolutely. I mean, uh, I think we all are to some degree. It just, yep. we've got to make sure that we're, we're not locking ourselves into our own <laughs> little box of stories that we, we expand our horizons. Right. So you've done an incredible job growing the receptionist during COVID. Please share with us some of the best practices that you feel that led to this growth. 
Well, thank you. I, I appreciate mm-hmm. that. Um, yeah, we, we grew in 2020 by about 23% as a company. Wow. And, you know, the receptionist is a tool where we're a visitor management system. So mm-hmm. we're, we're reliant on people walking through, physically walking through a business's front doors to check in to see someone. Mm-hmm. And what was not happening last year? <laughs> I mean, right, right. We're, we're shut down. We were all going remote. One of the things we did very, very quickly early on in in 2020, as the pandemic was really getting ramped up, was we started looking at our stats and like, is there anyone out there still using our system our, mm-hmm. out of our customer base? Mm-hmm. And we very quickly started to see there were some businesses in some industries that were not only uh, still using the system, but they, they were actually checking in more people because mm-hmm. They needed a record of everyone, right? You needed to be able to contact trace who was in your building, where were they? And it came back to, I, I, I always ask the question, you know, what was the thing that people were freaking out about the most at the beginning of the pandemic? Do you remember, Jennifer? What was getting the, getting the, uh, the virus? <laughs> well, well, in terms of like um, what they were shopping for, what was flying off the shelves? You, you oh, could barely masks. get. Yeah. Toilet paper. Toilet paper, yes. Toilet absolutely. paper. Uh, we we started I to forgot notice. already about toilet paper, and I was, you know, we would <laughs> buy it whenever we saw it. You're right. <laughs> yeah, it was toilet paper, and we started to notice. You know, we had this this phrase enter our vernacular: essential worker. Mm-hmm. And what were the companies that were were the most comprised of essential workers? Well, they were the manufacturers manufacturing toilet paper and masks and. Uh, other PPE, other other personal protective equipment. They were the food and beverage manufacturers that were still trying to keep the store shelves stocked. They mm-hmm. were, the, you know, everybody was getting everything delivered to them via Amazon or UPS or FedEx. So they were the the shipping and transportation and logistics companies. That's what we noticed. Were were not only still utilizing our system, but we're we're seeing an uptick because of mm-hmm. the the requirement or the need to know who was in their building at every time at, at all times. And so we went all in that way. We just went all in with our marketing, with our, our messaging. Uh, we really kind of shut down before the pandemic. We had really started to see a big uptick in behavioral health customers mm-hmm. utilizing our system, but they all went remote. Telehealth became uh, very much a, a thing in the pandemic. And so we we diverted all of our resources and attention to those areas and, and places that we knew were still open, still accepting visitors, and we just focused on educating them and telling stories of other people and how they used our our mm-hmm. system and software. And eventually, over time, more and more things started opening back up again. But that was really where we focused our efforts. Honestly, it was it was just utilizing and asking questions again of of what we knew, that information that we had asking ourselves, okay, why might this be? And then inserting stories and information to help people through. No one knew what was going on. No one knew, <laughs> like, right. how do we right. deal with this? And we tried to be a stopgap there. What I love about what you said is that you used your data to inform you as to where 
the activity was, right? Um, and then you pivoted and you focused on that market being the essential worker market uh, for the things that they required. And I love that pivot based on data because it's not just, you know, okay, what do we do? And we sit back and we worry, you know, you really took action. And so incredible job um, on your part in really looking at the data and then pivoting and getting to customers that, you know, needed your service. And the growth of 23% is amazing, you know, especially in a, it's amazing any time of the, any time of the year, but in a pandemic, it's truly, truly exceptional. Well, thank you. And and one of the things I've always said throughout my marketing career is, you know, I believe data to be a fantastic compass. Mm-hmm. It is it is wonderful at pointing you in the general direction of where you think and in, in where you want to go. But it's the human with the common sense, the emotional intelligence, the ability to see the log in the path or the mm-hmm. stream that that uh, you have to cross that a, that data is never going to tell you, right? It's it's got to be a a blend of the two, data and the human element coming together to create a you know a really synergistic marketing uh, effort. At least that's what we experienced. No, very true. Did you know that there is an increase in the number of women leaving the tech industry? As a woman-owned business, Directions Training has made it our mission and passion to change this statistic. That's why Jennifer created this podcast. We showcase insight from everyday women for everyday women in the tech industry. Do you know other people that would benefit from tuning in? Share the link and help us drive the advancement of women in the tech industry. Do you have a journey or know of someone that our listeners would benefit from hearing about? Reach out to us at directionstraining.com slash podcast. Don't forget to follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and wherever you find your podcasts. Now, back to the show. So let's talk about leadership next. Um, what does it take to be a good leader? I'm sure in your career, you've had good leaders and not so good leaders. Uh, what do leaders need to do more of to step up their game? I'm a huge fan of Simon Sinek. And so mm-hmm, you'll, you'll hear, <laughs> yeah, you'll hear a lot of, of what I say here influenced by his work, but really for me, a, a good leader has to be aware that they don't, they are not in their position to have all of the answers. Mm-hmm. They're there to make those in their charge better at what they do mm-hmm. and to lift them up and, and give them the resources to remove roadblocks so that the people in the charge of that leader are, have the, the trust, the freedom, the autonomy to grow and thrive in the role that they've been hired to do. And very early on in my career, I absolutely thought uh, because I'm the leader, I have to have all the answers. And that was mm-hmm. what I alluded to earlier. That's where the imposter syndrome came in. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not a marketer. I've never spent time in marketing. How am I supposed to know about marketing automation and, and uh, you know, lead attribution scores? Mm-hmm. I don't know any of this stuff. So mm-hmm. I was very, very, uh, I was very, very focused on on what I didn't have. And my boss at the time who actually put me into that first director of marketing role, he said to me, Michael, they don't need a good marketer as their director. They need someone who can lead them and inspire them to do their job well. Mm-hmm. And yeah, because you've got the experts there. You're inspiring to bring the best out of them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that was a huge shift for me 
when he told me that because I was mm-hmm. I kept going to him and be like, I don't know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I'm having to learn all that. Like they're smarter at this stuff than me. And that was okay. But you hung in there and that's so great to just take the confidence and say, hey, I can inspire them. I can lead them to be better people and better in their career and grow their career. Those are really, really important attributes of a leader. It's it has become the thing that I care about most Mm -hmm. in my role is are the people in my charge advancing, growing, learning. And I'll tell Mm -hmm. you, Jennifer. I, I am one of the things I am most proud about is that if, of all the marketing teams I have led, no one has ever left my team for a lower or parallel position. Mm-hmm. They have always been either promoted or hired to a, a uh, more senior position at a different company. They've always advanced themselves in some way after they've left my team. And I haven't had very many people leave my team in the first. And you, yeah, you should be proud of that. That's amazing. I, I love like one of the uh, at the previous company that I was at, my marketing manager, she was phenomenal and just a a brilliant tactical mind at at marketing. And now she's leading one of her own teams. She's leading her own marketing team at an organization that is growing like crazy. She is doing phenomenal, phenomenal work. And I'm just so happy for her. Like mm-hmm. she's she, for her and her family, that's huge. And to know that, if I played any role in that, that's where I take value. And that's where I put stock. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so, so powerful because that really shows you care. And that's half the battle, right? I mean, there are some bad leaders that just don't set that example. They don't care. And that comes across as well. So congratulations. That's such a great um ability to be proud of to say everybody on your team who left very few have left but when they do leave they go to higher positions so you were an integral part of their growth which was great i love that i certainly hope so and and on the on the flip side the the worst leaders that i've ever ever dealt with managed people to a process Mm -hmm. Not not saying that processes are bad. They're not. But when you over index towards process and tactics and measurements, you lose the humanity of the person that you're trying to to elevate or at least hopefully elevate. And the worst managers and leaders that I've come in contact with simply saw people as a cog in the machine. And I know that's like there's a lot of talk. Simon Sinek is huge on this right now, right? Mm-hmm. And, and has mm-hmm. been for years about why people do the work that they do when they're most happy. They feel trust. They feel like they have some autonomy and that they are not just simply a cog in the machine. I felt that way before and it sucks. It's mm-hmm. awful. And I never want anybody to feel that way with, with me. If right. I can help it. No, that's great. And I think you you hit on a very key note here is the manager versus the leader. The manager is process. Did you do this? Did you make your metrics? Did you, the micromanagement part of it is the manager. A leader inspires and uh, leads by example. And, you know, also the servant leadership is very important as part of that, that, you know, you're there for your people. You're there to help them in any way you can so that they can um, solve their challenges and grow within their position. 
And, and that flows into my why as, mm-hmm. as a leader is I want to be in selfless service to those mm-hmm. in my charge so that they can grow in their role and their goals to the best of their abilities and have fun doing it. That's like, great. That last part is also incredibly important. I want very to- important. Fun. Yeah. Play hard, work hard. It's very yeah. important, right? You have yeah. to have fun. You have to come here. Sometimes we spend, well, mostly all the time, we spend more time at work than we do with our families or, you know, uh, by ourselves. So it, it is important that you enjoy what you're doing. Yeah. It, it makes all the difference in the world, at least yeah. from everything that I've seen. If a team is having fun, if they if they care about each other, and I don't think it needs to go as far as saying like we're all a family. Mm-hmm. No, like your your work acquaintances and the people on your team at work, they're not your family. Like you get right. to choose them. You don't get to choose your family and all the, mm-hmm. the drama, the background that can happen in a in a family or 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 not maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so that puts a lot of pressure on people too. I think when we refer to our our work life as, oh, we're a family. Well, no, because families can ask above and beyond of their family members to show up. And I don't think leaders and managers can necessarily require or ask that of their employees, nor should they. Mm-hmm. Like they do their job, they do it well, help set them up for success in their role and in that job and, and in their future goals. But I don't know that we're. I, I think we're at the end of of seeing people go like really above and beyond in their job where they're putting it, you know, let's say they work, you know, nine to five, but they're still working at nine o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. I think the last year, 18 months has shown a lot of people in a lot of different jobs and a lot of different industries for what? Mm-hmm. what to what end to what gain and i'm not saying don't work hard like yes work hard be be diligent in the work that you do but i don't think in calling your work life your family i don't think that's right i don't think that's fair at all interesting yeah that's very true i mean you have your family to take care of and so that blend of work and family is so important for you to bring 100% or 200% to your job role every day. So you need that. You don't want to get burned out, you know? Yeah. Like, look, I'm going to ask very different. I'm going to have very different expectations of my family members and how they show up versus my coworkers. And I don't think it's fair for leadership to say we're a family because then the underlying expectation is I can ask exponentially more of you Mm -hmm. because we're quote unquote this family I don't mm-hmm. think that's fair. I don't think that's right. I agree. Very great, great analogy there. So I know you talked about when you started to become a leader, one of the things that you you realize is that you you thought that you had to know everything, but yeah. realized very quickly that that's not a true leader. You You need to understand your people. You need to know where to get the answers. You need to help your people grow and inspire them. But is there any other one thing that you wish you had known when you began your career? I wish I knew how the finances of a company worked better. (laughs) You and me both. (laughs) Uh, You know, as I worked my way up in my career and eventually got into, you know, the VC and private equity world at some companies, that became like a real hard thing for me to grasp. Mm-hmm. And I, I, financial literacy, I think, is something that is not super well taught 
Um, in our schools and in our education system, there's a lot that's not super well taught, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that, that, if I'm being super tactical, that's something <laughs> that I wish I, I think did that's more a great of. one. Yeah. Because, you know, in business, that's so important. And whether you own a business or you run a department or a team, you really need to understand how the finances within that um, company works so that you can manage them and excel in saving the company money. Because as soon as you do that, you're adding value immediately to the bottom line. Yeah, it just there's so many intricate and, and detailed ways that yes, we think of we think of it like our bank account where money comes in and money goes out as we pay mm-hmm. the bills, like we get paid. There are so many different revenue allocations so and, and asset yeah. management that goes into the the finances of a a larger scale company that it just it takes it takes some getting used to, no doubt. Um, and any any leader coming up, I would I would definitely encourage them to sit with the the finance officer, sit with the, the finance team and just ask questions and ask if you can sit in on, you know, quarterly books reports or, or something like that, where you can begin to get an understanding and a feel for how the finances of a, a larger organization work and, and how different it is than your personal bank account, right? Yeah. Um, if I'm, if I'm thinking more on the marketing side of things, I also would say, I wish I, I wish I had been more open to really directly confront detractors uh, mm-hmm. earlier in my career. And, and I'll, I'll explain it like this. You know, every company is going to have people that either don't agree with what they do or people who are, are with rival companies and, and take whatever chance they can get to badmouth you. For us, you know, here at The Receptionist, we have an interesting we have an interesting role that we play in an office where we're called the receptionist and there happens to be a job title called the receptionist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there is this fear or this perception that we are in business to take that job from a human and transfer it to a machine. Mm-hmm. Does that happen? Yes, it does. Mm-hmm. It does. It goes back to the finance question that we just t- talked about more often than not. However, we work best when we work in tandem with a human. The human does the the part of the job that only a human can do, and mm-hmm. we do the the things that an automated system can do. Mm-hmm. Now, we get a lot of flack from that, particularly on social media, that we're just taking people's jobs and we're out to bring <laughs> out the robot revolution. Well, we actually last year during 2020, we we came up with this campaign called "Not Your Receptionist," mm-hmm. and the whole tagline is. Yes, we are the receptionist, but we're not your receptionist. Mm. Here are all the things that a human does that we can't do. Mm-hmm. So we can't tell you there's lettuce in your teeth when you show up for a job interview. Right. We can't, we can't uh, you know, inform you that uh, your food is at the front door and and people are kind of gathering around waiting to to take some french fries out of your, <laughs> your bag. Like, all those things. Um, we kind of had some fun with it. And I wish... I wish more companies were a little bit more fun and lighthearted. I wish I certainly was earlier in my career about mm-hmm. just owning the fact that there are people that don't like what you do mm-hmm. and have some fun with it. I, I not yeah, don't take it personally. Yeah, yeah, don't take it personally, but that happens in every company. Absolutely. I, I you know, I think Wendy's does it incredibly well. If you follow their Twitter account, 
they put McDonald's and Burger King and all the other burger places on blast all the time. And they have fun mm -hmm. with it. And you're talking about a, a fast food chain having millions of followers on Twitter mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. they just have fun with the fact that they're like, there's enough business for, to go around for everyone. Uh, and we're going to everybody have has their personal choice, you know, yeah. whether it's Wendy's or McDonald's, Burger King, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but you could have fun with it. I love that. So now in this pandemic time, you know, people were not traveling, but I think that's starting. And, you know, last couple weeks I've been at the airports and it's been crowded yeah. and packed. So where is the most, where, where is your most favorite place that you've traveled to and why? Mm. I always feel pressure to like have some exotic place that I, no, I love. No, no. <laughs> it's all about you. It's not, it, there's no agenda behind this it's like you know i love to learn about travel because i love to travel so from talking to different people and asking this question i've learned quite a bit and it's places that i didn't even know about it's places that you know i added to my bucket list you know so anything goes i i will answer this question in with a place that pleasantly surprised me mm -hmm. and that was boise idaho okay um beautiful like and i love the outdoors i love hiking as i said and in, in kind of introing myself myself earlier i love the outdoors i love why i mean i'm from kansas like mm -hmm. i love the wide open skies and, mm -hmm. and at night you can see all the stars and a place like boise idaho first off it was it was it seemed like a very clean beautiful city uh well taken care of but just the area around it i i loved it and i would love to explore more of it I was pleasantly surprised with Boise, Idaho. I'll, I'll answer the question that way. So, so was it the environment, the cleanliness, the people? What, what was the reason why you loved being there? Yeah, I, I think to go back to what we were talking about earlier, I went in with the assumption of what Boise, Idaho would be, you know, small, uh, you know, backwoods kind of place. Mm -hmm. And it mm -hmm. wasn't, you're right. The people astoundingly nice. Um, a lot like that Midwestern mentality that I am, I am, I grew up in and I'm familiar with and I love the most, uh, the, the clean air, the freshness of the community, the feel, the vibe. It is a college town with Boise mm -hmm. state university being right there, not too far off of downtown. It's a, mm -hmm. it's a capital city, obviously. So there's, there's momentum and movement that you feel when you're in the city, but you get outside of the city and the landscape is phenomenal. It's, it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. And you, you've got to have an appreciation for nature and slowing down in a place like that. You know, are there, the bright lights of Broadway or, you know, the, the mm -hmm. Hollywood Hills. No. And mm -hmm. that's, that's a really good thing for a human soul. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. Um, I always think, you know, travel is not the place. It's the feeling that you get because okay. it's most of the time it's who you're with, what kind of experiences you had. You can be at just a normal, regular pool and you're with good friends or family and you feel so good. And then that place becomes your favorite place because you you built some great memories there. And so I love I love your story. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And great food helps too, I gotta say. Yes, <laughs> yes, I agree. And you know, Midwest, Chicago, I come from Chicago and Chicago yeah. has like, I think the best food anywhere. So <laughs> yeah. I, I come from Kansas City where we have the best barbecue anywhere. Barbecue. So. I think you, I think you do. My kids live in <laughs> Kansas City, uh, Missouri. 
yeah. side. And they we just had some barbecue there that was just amazing. So yes, I agree. Jennifer, I'm so glad you know that there is a Kansas City, Missouri and a Kansas City, Kansas. Yes, that, yes. That's not something a lot of people know, but yes, there is. And it makes a difference. There is a that's difference. Awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> All right, Michael, this was so much fun. So in closing, what advice would you give to a woman considering a career in the tech industry? Own it. Just, just mm -hmm. own it. Um, own it. Find if you do that. If you own what you know, what you have, and what you are capable of, don't settle for anything less than someone who sees that in you as well. I, there are so many opportunities now that you don't have to settle. Um, I look at uh, a woman like Lindsay Chepkema at Casted, which is a, a podcasting software company for B two B podcasters, and the way that she owns her abilities her her knowledge her her emotional intelligence look she went out and created the thing that she wanted when she couldn't find it mm -hmm. and so the the world that we have access to right now allows you to be picky and and i would i would be picky because you do not have to settle for something uh, for anyone less who sees you as less than who sees you as uh, more incapable than them own own what you can do own what you know i love it i love it great advice um so please share with our listeners how they could get a hold of you yeah um everything with the receptionist is is through the receptionist.com and you can listen to our podcast it's called the fabric show or the fabric podcast it's on all the the podcast uh we, we talk a lot about company culture on that show and um, also, I'm on Twitter. So Michael D. Ashford on Twitter is uh, where you can find me and connect with me. I would love to chat further. Sounds great. Well, Michael, this has been a pleasure and an honor to have you on my show. Um, hope to have you again sometime in the future. Absolutely. I would love that. And Jennifer, thank you so much for the invite. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Tech in the Right Direction. Please take a minute to subscribe or follow so that you never miss an episode. Also, don't forget to like, share, and comment. Thank you. See you next week. From IT skill enhancements to end user adoption training, Directions Training is your resource to help optimize the effectiveness of your technology investments. Over half a million students have taken advantage of our wide selection of technology and business training solutions covering the most popular applications today, such as Microsoft 365, Azure, Windows 10, and more. As a podcast listener, we invite you to take advantage of an exclusive offer. Receive 30 days of free access to our Microsoft official curriculum on-demand courses for IT professionals or end-users. Visit us at www.directionstraining.com slash podcast to claim this offer today. Hurry, this offer is only available for a limited time. Success is a journey. Ask for directions.